Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Podam America. Um, there's no two ways about it today. The first thing on everyone's minds will be that our beloved Bernie Sanders is dead. He's a skeleton in the Coco afterlife now. Um, you can still vote for him in the primaries that you you make a little mail-in ballot which you write down in with your gloved hands hand to one of those doctors from the black plague with the bird mask on his head and then he takes it with his weird cane travels through the graying foggy hazy wasteland to the government and then they throw it in the trash um supposedly you can still vote for bernie if there are, uh, you know, if there's a primary and then he can win delegates and then use those delegates to leverage against Joe Biden. And with all this leverage, we're going to get Joe Biden to, you know, not do jack shit and then lose the election. So we're pretty fucked. Um, and I want to talk today about Joe Biden because I think that one thing we're going to hear from this part, uh, well, not now, but as soon as Joe Biden loses the general election we're going to hear a narrative again that it was bernie sanders fault conveniently when another politician loses it's bernie sanders fault and when bernie sanders loses it's also bernie sanders fault nothing in politics is ever anyone's fault except for bernie sanders hillary clinton what happened bernie's like i never once uh in the book did she go i might have fucked up fucking crazy right um and not that it really matters, but in order to understand what's happening, I think it's important to look at Joe Biden's legacy of neoliberal politics in particular and the failings of them. And I think that that's important because they're going, they failed in 20, those same policies failed in 2016 and they're going to fail again. People will tell you, oh, it's because of the identity of Hillary Clinton. Well, sure. People hated Hillary Clinton. Um, but Biden has a track record, a history of sort of uh, galvanizing his campaign strategies and his governing strategies around this really specific combination of on the left sort of uh, interest groups from the traditional Democratic Party history, like unions and like people of color and women. And then on the right cannibalizing his opponents. Uh, but what I mean by that is taking the policies of a Republican that he's running against, saying, I'm going to do everything they're doing economically. I'm going to lower taxes and I'm going to limit spending. And also, I'll throw some bones to, you know, union workers and black people and stuff like that. And these bones are often largely symbolic. That is what you can point to in the general election as the reason that Biden will lose. And it's because those groups that he's claiming to appeal to the middle class, the, uh, conservative, the traditional moderate conservative and the, uh, special interest groups of the bygone era of Democrats. Neither of those fucking things exist anymore. There aren't really any unions anymore. And there aren't, really a coalition of people that vote for Democrats. And uh, there aren't moderate fucking Republicans either. There are just crazy people and people who uh, 
you know, who, who won't vote Democrat anyway because they, uh, you know, they care not for any of this. They hold their nose either way, you know. Um, I think that's what's going to happen. And today I will be making an argument on why I think that. And uh, also, I will be making another argument, which will be revealed later in the episode. I don't want to give it away. I have a conspiracy theory about Joe Biden. Okay. Also, also, before we start, I should tell you that if you would like to buy a Poddam t-shirt or one of my tour posters, we have a merch store set up, a website called Big Cartel. It is poddamamerica.bigcartel. Wait, which one is it? Big Car- Yeah, poddamamerica.bigcartel.com. Uh, it'll be in the show notes, and eventually I'll have bandanas back, which everyone needs now. Um, and, uh, other stuff, I guess, since, uh, we're now a non live operation and we still have shit for sale. So if you want any of that, hit us up. It is online. Okay. Enjoy the show. and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America as long as she tries to act like she is God and she is Okay, step into the zone, zone, motherfuckers. News podcast. Uh, uh, Hello, uh, welcome to Pod Damn America, El Podcasto (laughs) de los Estados Unidos, Uh, for this, this... the stupid children. Uh, hey, I'm Jake Flores. <laughs> Alex Patak is here. Somebody accused me of being like a, doing like a jazzy radio Mark Marin shit, and now I can't get it out of my head. What's up, cat? You're leading into it now. Yeah, dude. yeah, I like <laughs> that. It. Was okay. I don't know. I'm just Your rambling. intros get me excited every time. They're always a little different, and they're always a little spicy. And I'm thrilled to be here and part of it and part of the show. And if you're interacting with me on Twitter, I am part of this show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm like uh, jazz uh, to improvise the intro to the podcast. Like I'm riffing like Miles and uh, the other guy. Alex Patak is here. The clean segues you're not hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Alex. What's up, everybody? Can't wait to make some content. And Anders Lee is here. Anders Hapcat Lee here. Yeah. Woo! Jazz Anders. Okay, well, we might as well get right into the story of the day. Bernie's dead. Our boy Bernie is just skeleton now. We have to throw him uh. in a dumpster for the government to come pick him up. Like when your dog dies. Um bittersweet because we do like skeletons yeah but this is a terrible day yeah, yeah he's a skeleton but with the hair still the cool wavy white hair 
the glasses. That's at first, you know. at first look, you think, "Oh, Einstein is a skeleton." No, it's not who it is. <laughs> you Bernie die Sanders. and you go to hell, and there's just one skeleton that has Bernie Sanders hair. And you're like, "Oh, that one was Bernie Sanders." That's nice. <laughs> He's just, I think he was just born with that hairline. It's, I mean, he covered it up in the old photos, but it's always been there. It's an eternal force. A lot of people don't know that when Bernie Sanders was a young man, he actually wore a black hair wig to cover up his yeah. uh, very sh- shocking, jarring old man white hair that he had in his 20s that didn't match with his face. Man, that's always so weird when you see somebody who's like 23 and they have like long white hair. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, what secrets are you hiding? What stressed you out this way? Like, well, do you know, Anderson Cooper, I think he's like that because of, uh, I think it was a suicide, maybe of his mother or something, but his hair just like turned white. Wait. The second it happened. Oh. Like the crash. I thought that was inbreeding for sure. <laughs> maybe that too. Wait, well, he got scared white like the crash test dummies song about the kid who yeah once there was this kid who got into an accident and couldn't come to school the second verse is yeah when he finally woke up his hair had turned from black into bright white he was anderson cooper um that, <laughs> right i don't know famously like, like the movie come and see they scared that kid so bad his hair turned white Yes, <laughs> I didn't in know real that life, could happen. I thought that was fake. I didn't either. That's so fucked it's up. It's a product of shock. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think. It, it, but to your point, it may only be uh, may only occur among the inbred, the aristocratic about, and inbred. I, that's what I figured. Less about Anderson Cooper, but how are you guys holding up? Because uh, today is Thursday. Wednesday was D Day, Dead Bernie Sanders Day. Uh-huh. Um, how were your reactions? It was weird, uh, man. It I feel like it was. It's not like it happened all at once. Like it kind of happened on Super Tuesday. It's been slowly like getting there, you know. And like, uh, yeah, yeah. And then with this shit where they just are killing people with the Wisconsin primary, it kind of seems like, you know, he wasn't gonna win it because only old assholes are gonna go out to kill themselves voting for Biden or whatever. So I don't know. It felt like a breakup that you knew was coming, you know. Right. I mean, I felt the same way in that, like, I the remorse was setting in for me almost a month ago. And then for it to just be finally broken off yesterday was just kind of like, well, ow. All right. right. <laughs> in, yeah. I gave this man a lot of money I'm not getting back. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was in some ways sort of a relief. Just because like, it had been a long time coming, and like we know this is the end now. Um, yeah, which is a big contrast from Corbin's defeat, which just felt like I got punched in the face by some fucking right. rich polo asshole, you know? That, that was more of a surprise, I felt like. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, it felt like I was beat up by a, a rugby goon just out <laughs> of nowhere. And this was like a longer, longer pull, for sure. This was like... But, dying the way you die in america which is slow yeah. and draining and just you get defeated whereas corbin's loss was like getting the shit beaten out of you by a british guy who knows right. he can go to the hospital for free so he really fucking goes for it he really <laughs> goes for it because you came to the wrong side of bow bell's love um yeah i tell you um, when, when corbin like lost he... it was like getting peaky blinded it was like getting the eye slashed <laughs> Right, I've been peaky blinded. 
Um, I don't know. I thought I couldn't possibly have any more disdain for liberals um, just in general. And for whatever reason, even though I saw it coming and we've been having the same conversation with the rest of the Democratic Party for the last few months, um, these people who want to tell me how to vote and feel now, um, I hate more than anyone I've ever hated (laughs) (laughs) to watch the rest of this primary where we openly saw a a CIA chicanery with, you know, the Iowa caucuses um, to the entire media establishment consolidating entirely around Joe Biden a day before Super Tuesday so that he could pull back ahead when he was losing. Um, I'm not blackpilled, but I don't I truly don't believe in fair elections in America at all anymore. I've gone from 20% to 0%. And I think until like TV media is completely annihilated, you, you have no chance to run an insurgent candidate in this country. I mean, yeah, but it's not as if it was, I mean, there were, there were more people voted for, Joe Biden. There's a ton of disenfranchisement, obviously, uh, that people often ignore. But the the problem is fear. I think that's the problem with American politics. That's the the strongest motivating factor. It's true of Republicans who you know get behind Trump out of fear for the other. But it's also true of, of Democrats who are scared to vote for what they actually want. You know, I think one of the silver linings to this is, of course. The policy positions of like Medicare for all are now popular, especially among uh, the Democratic uh, electorate. We'll have something to talk about while we all die. I don't don't know. Fantastic. We can agree on something. I don't know if I quite agree with you, Anders, because I mean, from where I'm sitting, I like I'm looking at this and I'm a fairly politically engaged person and went and knocked doors for Bernie in like another state and shit a bunch of times. And, uh, I didn't get to vote in the primary. Like, I know I can still vote for him and he's on the ballot and, well, I could try to win delegates. I and honestly didn't even realize that until you tweeted it. Yeah, no, I mean, we literally like, <laughs> we're insane. This is the system in America is delegated to a very small amount of people that are not representative of the population. So to look at, I think the, Every analysis of what's happening right now is kind of flawed because it's based on the assumption that the primary system makes any fucking sense at all and is in any way democratic when it really, you know, it doesn't make any sense that it's purposely undemocratic. Like they they did the thing where it starts with Iowa and New Hampshire and shit to try to like, you know, uh, rechange the rules to allow certain types of candidates to gain traction and stuff. But I think that if you just had like a Senate style fucking everyone votes at once popular vote thing that isn't by district exactly. and gerrymandered, Bernie fucking win because people know what they want. But uh, what, we're, what we're left with right now, what we're dealing with right now is this, you know, really specific subset of people that are able to vote, that are informed about it, that care, um, and that are in certain states and are in the part of the population that isn't suppressed or whatever, that get to make this decision. And then everyone gets to make these arguments predicated on the idea that, like, well, democratically, people showed up for Biden when, you know, they didn't really show up for him. Um, if you had to explain to an alien... Uh, how a primary process works here. 
how would you get past the part where we don't all vote on the same day? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the other well, thing is, like, what you're saying, like, they so all consolidated backwards. behind Biden. I mean, that happened from the top down. And that's kind of what I'm stuck on is, like, even as much as, like, the Warren people are annoying, like, our voters and shit, all of this stuff happened from the top down. So in order to get really resentful of other voters and people, like, on the ground and shit... You have to make this assumption that like their votes even count, and like there there aren't any war in people. Like there aren't that many of those fucking people, so it didn't really matter. Like none of these people really affected anything. I think that the lesson here should be to divert to to point your anger upwards. Like they did this to us, you know. But they, it's very convenient right. for the powers that well, be to have us mad Anders, at each other. Uh, well, I don't had a good point about the fear thing, though, which yeah. is why I, I say that we're not going to have any substantive change until we can completely nullify the stranglehold power our media has. Because when you look at the fear in the voting base, in the Democrat and obviously Republican parties, the reason people don't ask for more is they are goldfish who are told not to. Um, I mean, <laughs> everyone is individually thinking for themselves, but like talk to anyone who lives in the suburbs who considers themselves an informed voter and they will start quoting MSNBC to you. If they're a liberal, they'll start quoting CNN to you. They can only give you what you know. I mean, we only, you know, share the same like podcast and internet articles back and forth. Um, you know, you can only work with the information you're given and the, uh, television is such a reactionary institution right now. And it's so powerful. It's more powerful than it's ever been in human history that unless you can get like CNN's views down to redacted tonight's, I don't know how you can talk to half of the American population. We're working on it. No, I mean, I obviously I, <laughs> or I get redacted tonight's views ups. <laughs> like, I totally agree. Like, this is not a democracy in any sense uh, in this country or in the Democratic Party. But like, there is still a, I think a probably insurmountable amount of voters who just were scared and just were have been, you know, felt fed a bill of goods for the past 30 years about like what's possible in American politics. And like may and I think, yeah, the, the strategy was to outnumber them with people who don't traditionally vote. And that didn't uh, that didn't happen. You know, I mean, I think it could have with a divided field and i think bernie would have won had the field stayed divided but i don't know that that's necessarily more democratic you know it's uh, it's what i would have preferred sure. but there's still a ton of people in this country who are who are uh, scared and who are, who are confused and or just self-interested and 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 shrewd about it and and I, or know, in jail having all of their voting power completely nullified from the outset right yeah, until you like five percent of the American population, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the exact number, but I mean, if if everybody voted on the same day in the primary, I think it, it would depend on how if how greatly it was expanded. If it was expanded to people who Bernie was trying to reach who don't typically vote, then yeah, I think that would have been better for him. But if everybody voted on the same day, then that may have stretched resources for a campaign like Sanders too thin were to where they couldn't focus on a place like Iowa or Nevada, you know, the places they were successful. So, I mean, hindsight's 2020. I'm not saying right? the same day primary would help us win. I'm saying that to even conceptualize it is just to realize what a completely, I don't know, corrupted 
game we're playing to start with. Yeah. yeah, but that's the thing, though, is because Biden lost the first three states, I do think there are going to be some serious reforms on the table. I mean, maybe for better or worse. I think that's I don't think Iowa is going to be go first next time. You know, um, I don't I, I there is a timetable here <laughs> in a way there didn't used to be. And people aren't aware of it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, Speaking specifically about climate change, but right. fuck, man. Yeah, yeah I, that's the thing that's that's blackpilled me is is just you know like I think we're in a good, we're the democratic socialist movement broadly construed is still in a good position now politically to take you know some semblance of power in the next decade or two, but it's literally like too late. You know, unless- it's very, very late. I don't know what the future looks like. And I'm upset, but I honestly don't feel more was uh, when this primary started just because this pandemic is so game changing <laughs> for <laughs> what society is like. like. This is like the collapse of the empire. Like there's not no food at stores yet or anything, but like it's going to be very hard to go back to those trusted institutions when people are going back to work at the end of this. No, we can bomb New York with the bomb from outbreak that sucks up all the virus. All the oxygen. Our only choice would be like if everyone forgets because there's some kind of virus bomb situation, (laughs) but (laughs) Cuomo's going to blow up New York and then, you know, maybe, maybe get the nomination depending on what happens. Look, if you can script everyone starship troopers style and send them to fight against an alien race so that it's us or them with technology that expands faster than they, than their lives can interpret like in a, a book I read once, then sure. Um, it, it doesn't matter that they've been fucked over completely by the ruling class, but, uh, I just, I don't know what's going to happen from now on. And, I'm just fucking chilling over here, man. I don't know. I played video games for eight hours yesterday. Dude. So there's like stages of grief or whatever. I don't want to become a fucking Warren person about this. But like, you know, yesterday was pretty depressing. But like after it all kind of hit me, there is a freedom to this where uh, we don't have to talk to these fucking people anymore. Really? You know? Like, I've just straight up been telling people I'm going to vote for Trump and there's nothing that you can do to stop me. You know? And uh, they'll leave you alone, actually. In, in fact, sometimes they'll be nicer to you because they hate Bernie Sanders, you know, more than they hate Trump. Um, but uh, there's really nothing they can do. And honestly, there was like an article that came out a while back that was like uh, the headline was, here's what Biden can do to win over Bernie's supporters. This is before this even happened. And uh, the reveal when you open the article was uh, nothing. There's nothing he can do. Um, they've fully alienated Correct. this base. They're, they're continuing after Biden gets the nomination to alienate the people that they're trying to, you know, bully into supporting. Him. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And the only I was thing actually surprised at like how many people, regardless of like what I, their perceived politics were upset yesterday, you know, like the, the Biden campaign has thoroughly just told everyone under the age of 40, like, Shut up. (laughs) I'm going to do whatever I want, and we outnumber you in the voting. So, who go to hell? You know? Yeah. And that's the Democratic uh, base for general elections. So, like, I I don't know. I'm amazed. 
It's a carbon copy of Hillary's attitude last time, you know, the fuck you, don't ask for anything better sort of thing. It's crazy. I mean, they, we could have ended up with, like, someone who at least lied about shit like that, like a Kamala or a Pete Buttigieg or something. But we got this guy, and I, I think he's going to lose for, you know, a lot of those reasons, but also because of the way the primary system uh, here's what I think is happening. I think that the way the system is structured, it creates a false narrative of like democracy having chosen this person when this happened because the DNC formed behind one person and they stopped Bernie at any chance and Obama called in and everything, right? But what happens is they prop up somebody based on also like the fucking early primary states. A lot of them are like not states that are key to the Democratic part like g- general you know what i mean like there's states yeah. that are gonna lose so they prop uh, up somebody one south carolina yeah we got this <laughs> it makes no sense they're gonna prop up somebody who isn't the best suited to go into what the general is and then you know and then the worst part of that is after the fact uh when he loses oh it's bernie sanders fault or whatever right but uh, but it just it doesn't really work at all, and it's going to kind of create a cohesive story that just like Trump cannot be beaten, <laughs> and like it's not really true, but you know they've decided it, to lose to him essentially. You chose yeah. to lose to him, and uh, to anybody who considers them uh, Marxist or socialist or whatever label you have, I mean, all you have to do is look at the stock market when Bernie Sanders says he's dropping. And all of the health insurance companies' stocks skyrocket back up. <laughs> exactly <laughs> who was playing for what and who was the working class candidate and who is the guy who's just holding a different mask over his face for the ruling class. Dude, a friend of mine uh, came into a bunch of money when somebody died like a while back and uh, invested it. And then it all went away when COVID happened, like lost like a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and, uh, and then he got like 20 grand of it back like today because Bernie's out. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. This is somebody who had like a hundred dollars at the beginning of the story. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to like the primary states and stuff, it's yet yeah, states are not going to win. The Democrat is not going to win in the general election. And there are also states that like are not, um, they're not. You're not rewarding the loyal Democratic voters in in reliable states who like should be listened to if they're if the Democratic Party depends on them to win elections when they do. You know, uh, New Jersey, frankly, I think should go first. Like that's the most reliable Democratic stra- stronghold. It's a diverse state. Uh, it makes a lot more sense for candidates to be like, instead of the Iowa state fair, just like perusing the boardwalk, like talking to fucking, you know, guidos and stuff. Um, having a campaign Man, I, to just, I don't care anymore. I don't <laughs> care. It's all wishful thinking. And if it was going to happen, it will happen four years from now when we're all wearing gas masks all the time. I just don't, I don't care. Fuck everything. I, don't, I like <sighs> Andrew's idea of uh, like the Kevin Smith mall rats. Uh, yeah. State. We have to watch <laughs> Pete Buttigieg hang out with Jason Muse and stuff. <laughs> oh, I I'm like here what you're with doing here. Uh, fortune teller with three tits. I'm going to ask her <laughs> what her favorite VHS is. From Total Recall? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's um, oh, a... They have the Total Recall fortune teller in... In Mallrats, it's a whole big part of the movie. Guys, check out Mallrats if you haven't seen it. Hey, you great got the time. staying inside movie. <laughs> right, the whole movie is inside basically. 
Yeah. My content consumption is through the goddamn roof. I'm going to become an anime by the end of this. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, nooch to the nooch. <laughs> so what is that? Is that Buttigieg saying? Oh. I got gotcha. you. It was uh, oh, my Obama Buttigieg. My like impression of Buttigieg doing an Obama impression. Uh, Buttigieg doing Obama doing Kevin Smith. Yeah. yeah, 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 yes. Thank you. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it makes perfect sense for someone who has a normal brain. Sure. Um, <laughs> not poisoned by the internet. Um, well, you know, uh, happy birthday, Alex. <laughs> uh, Thanks, guys. It's my birthday month. Every, Having a hard one. Yeah, dude. That sucks ass. Um, this whole month, which is usually a grand celebration for Aries Worldwide, yeah. ruined <laughs> what is an aries again is it like a cow it's a ram oh right okay it's a ram it's like a wacky barnyard hoot well um we won't be ramming through any legislation i can't do anders uh, Fantastic. Tra- trans- <laughs> transitions <laughs> um Bernie's dead, but not entirely because we still have to do that stupid uh, delegates thing to get Medicare, um, you know, lowered to age an age that we will not reach because we'll be dead of coronavirus. <laughs> but um, I want to transition now into the deep dive we have prepared for the day, um, which this is going to have an interesting kind of timber to it. It's an interesting timing. I've been working on a, a thing about the life of young Joe Biden for a week, not realizing that we would record it, you know, the day after uh, he became the nominee. So um, I don't know. Get mad at me if you're one of those people that's like, we can't say negative things about him. No, um, I fucking hate Joe Biden. I don't think any of those listen to our show, at least yeah. by this point. I'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I, I'm sure they don't. I don't know. Tweet at me. I don't care. Um, this is also I mean, they made it through all of the Star Wars episodes on the day of a maybe Iran war. Salute. <laughs> you love being mad. Yeah. If you're still here after that, then you just this is a uh, you're a glutton for punishment and you're you're here for it. And I respect that. Um, well, regardless of uh, whether you know. This may affect some poor, gullible person's opinion on whether or not they're going to vote in a state that probably won't count their vote anyway for Joe Biden. I think it is important to understand what is happening with him, where he came from, what he is. And I also have a theory about him, which uh, will become all too clear near the end of this little walkthrough. Um going to be drawing heavily from a book called Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden by Bron- Bronco? Branco? Mark. The first name is Bronco. Bronco, cool. The last name, uh, take a stab. <laughs> Marketic? Marcetic? I've heard Marketic. I've heard Marchetic. Marchetic. Marketic. Marketic. Any number of, <laughs> any number of pronunciations. The, the Marketic. Marketic. You know what I'm saying? Well, there we go. Um, I'm reading from a book written by a Star Wars character about <laughs> Joe Biden. Uh, 
the case against <laughs> Joe Biden, yesterday's man. Okay, so it's a verse of a books book. Uh, I was reading it to try to learn about him because, you know, he already was going to be the nominee and everything. And um, it occurred to me that maybe talking about his life as a young man might be kind of illuminating. I know most people know about, like, the big stuff that he kind of uh, is responsible for, or the Supreme Court justice stuff, Clarence Thomas, the Anita Hill hearings, and um, the 1994 crime bill. But there are a couple other things in here that I think give a background to like how he became the neoliberal prominent figure that he is. Joe Biden before the malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we begin the documentary on a slow pan in of a sepia toned image. Um, like, uh, what's that guy? Uh, the documentarian I'm thinking of. Um, Adam Curtis. Curtis. No, the famous one. Oh, Ken Burns. There you go, Ken Burns. Um, Name a third documentarian challenge. Can't do it. Not, I'm <laughs> okay. to, I don't want to go with Michael Moore. That's the obvious, the obvious choice. <laughs> that counts though. That's a that's the challenge. Morgan Spurlock. Okay. Anders, you already won. <laughs> <laughs> there are other documentarians. <laughs> sure. Um, Agnes Varda, huh? Holy what? <laughs> Look at me. Look at you. I can't. Anyway, go on. There's a pandemic. <laughs> um. So before we can even really get into Biden, I want to talk about where Biden is from, which is, uh, you know, he grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but spent most of his life in Wilmington, Delaware. Right. And Wilmington, Delaware is a town that is uh, the home and base of a large fucking mega corporation called a DuPont, right? DuPont was founded in 1802 as a gunpowder mill by a chemist named Eluther Irene DuPont, who had grown up in Paris and fled the terrors during the French Revolution after nearly being guillotined for helping Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette escape the storming of the Tuileries Palace. Uh, no oh, I remember that. <laughs> no idea if I pronounce any of that right, but um, but the fucking city is basically run like on the back of a of the legacy of a guy who literally like was going to get his head chopped off in the French Revolution. It was like I have to get to Delaware, Delaware, um, <laughs> <laughs> to go start a gunpowder dynasty. Um, he moved to Delaware, founded Dupont, and died on Halloween, eighteen thirty-four. On Brand Whoa. Podcast. Um, he passed his business, uh, obviously, down the line through his family, down the bloodline, creating what would become one of the most influential and powerful dynasties in all of American history, all backed by a single family's fortune. The company expanded rapidly, now producing dynamite, and in, the 19, in 1920, released a brochure called Farming with Dynamite that explained how to blow up uh, tree stumps in your farm. Um, <laughs> right. I've often been wondering how I have all this dynamite around the house and my farm is a mess <laughs> and I can't really put the two and two together on this, but if I had a book, I think I could figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> or a brochure, just a pamphlet. Um, I guess right. what's going on here is that he's just, uh, <laughs> the yeah. book is just like, put the dynamite away. <laughs> it's no good for your farm. <laughs> yeah. I guess they're just reaching, I guess, for like ways to get rid of all this dynamite. Because he was um, like a chemist. Do you chemist. have a rake? No. Try explosives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, he was a chemist, like just a son of some other rich guy, and like that was just what he knew how to do. Like he wasn't particularly interested in it. He just uh, basically got to America, went hunting, thought that American gunpowder was like cheaply made and uh, inferior to the stuff he was used to working with and the stuff he was used to making. So he just started making gunpowder, dynamite, and shit. That good French shit. Yeah. Yeah. Good French gunpowder. Uh-huh. That, sti- that sticky. Sticky G. The uh, explode uh <laughs> like Jason Muse from Mallrats would probably say. Um, I see here you called it the explode Uh Okay. Um, so all this fucking money is coming down from this rich person fueling this dynamite company. Uh, and they start buying up smaller companies, you know, like businesses do. And eventually they're broken up by the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1912 after forming a monopoly on explosives. Um, the other explosions can't compete. (laughs) (laughs) Too big. (laughs) The explosions are too big. Uh They uh, go on to produce like all these different types of rubbers and polymers and polyesters, all these synthetic materials, right? Um, And so they become huge during World War II. Uh, because we needed to make like you know parachutes and gas masks and all sort of crazy shit. So they made a ton they of money. They helped with na- the creation of napalm. Uh, maybe wouldn't be surprised. Uh, they also designed the plants that produced the nuclear and hydrogen bombs, like in the Manhattan Project. Today, DuPont has a bunch of awards from really specific sources, like Business Week magazine, regarding its carbon emissions and control of pollutants and all this shit. But this is probably fake. It's probably from bribery and juke statistics and things like that. Um, DuPont is the largest company on OSHA's severe violator program because uh-oh it keeps like it like killed a bunch of employees in Houston when some gas, you know, got sprung out of a container or something in a factory. Um <laughs> You think they make tarps and stuff. You go in the office, everyone has their dicks out. <laughs> Everything's covered in goo. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta give, give every violation in the book. <laughs> you gotta stop fucking the goo. It, uh, <laughs> uh, DuPont releases millions of pounds of toxic chemicals in like Delaware and Jersey waterways every year. And it was part of this thing called the Global Climate Coalition, which was like a... Coke Brothers, um, what do you call it? Uh, AstroTurfed sort of style uh, coalition of companies that were actually opposing climate change action in the '90s. That just called themselves the Climate Change, the Global Climate Coalition. There is a movie that came out last year starring Mark Ruffalo about a lawyer who like goes up against Dupont over you know one of the many things that they have been sued over involving. <laughs> Killing people. One of their many oopsies. Yeah. Poisoning people, dumping tons of water into just like Delaware wetlands and stuff like that. Um, also, the movie Foxcatcher. Do you guys ever see Foxcatcher? No. Yeah. That the insane crack- guy who like buys Mark Wahlberg is the. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what is Foxcatcher? The wrestling about? obsessed heir. Yeah. To he the, the he wants to be like a tough guy, so he buys these wrestlers for the Olympics and is like, yeah. Why don't you squirm around on the ground a little bit? That's how I do it. That's how I do it. It's like it's a fucking uh, Steve Carell and probably the creepiest performance of his life. Oh, good shit. Check it out. Scary. 
Um, so anyway, that's DuPont, right? DuPont is, um, you know, this thing that exists in Wilmington, which is a town that Biden moves to when he's young and sort of starts his career in. So he lives in, uh, all right, we'll, we'll get to that actually. Uh, we'll get to the, how this ties into Biden's life. So young Biden, right? Biden's father was a coffin glue manufacturer. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, you know the beginning of the commercial where you're be- you're uh, closing the coffin lid on your loved one, but it just won't stay shut. Yeah, <laughs> it keeps popping back out of there, Scooby Doo style. <laughs> yeah, there is a product. He lived in uh, too close to the Game of Thrones wall, and all of his. Uh, his dead people kept coming back to life. You got to glue yeah. them in there. It's a Biden tradition in closing the coffin on skeletons, as we saw what he just did with Bernie. Oh, man. Coffin he's... staple people hate him. <laughs> <laughs> um, Biden's father owned a glue factory, just like the one I live right above. Um <laughs> His uncle held a patent for this type of glue, and he bought into the business. And guess what, folks? Business boomed during World War II because Weird. of all the dead people. <laughs> um, the the coffins they made, they were springing right open, left and right. I mean, these <laughs> things, they were like revolving doors, these coffins. They, uh, yeah, just flipping coffins. They have, uh, eventually also made, like, armor plating for ships and stuff like that. And, like, I think, like, flak jackets or something like that. They made a ton of money, right? His family. Um, it makes sense them being from this part of the country, which I guess we are to gather from all of this information is just, like, it's glue country up there. You know, that's just yeah. where they make paints and <laughs> chemicals and, like, refrigerant and freon and shit like that. Anything like that, anything you can huff comes from Joe Biden's old neighborhood. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> you in glue country now, boy. Take a whiff. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you stick around? That's why everyone talks like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> they just catch you in a... The sh- lo- sheriff of glue town catches you in a giant glue trap. Like a cat. <laughs> it takes you home and drops you in a big bucket of water. It um, seems less cruel than the town built around the uh, spring traps, but it's actually worse because you starve to death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just picture glue just flowing like molasses from the trees. Okay. Gross. After the war... Anders... <laughs> the th- this thought of molasses just makes me uh what's the scientific word for burp i don't i don't think there is one uh, made me Elch. gaseously emit from oral just don't do it into a microphone that's all i'm asking I, I, that's the thing i didn't it was just so loud that it sounded like i was <laughs> you got those glue burps Oh, yeah. Glue burp. You're in glue country now, boy. Okay. <laughs> Real glue heads know. <laughs> um, after the war, uh, the business went bust because his partner lost all of his money investing in a crop dusting business, and the Bidens had to move to Mayfield, a suburb of Wilmington, which is one of those suburbs that's like populated by the employees of a company. They're all populated by, or Wilmington, uh, Mayfield is populated by the employees of DuPont. All right. So he moves from Scranton, Pennsylvania to DuPont. 
Biden grew up in a suburb quite literally created by the New Deal and segregated by redlining. And a big thing that we understand uh, looking back on him and it's sort of explained in this book is that uh, he sort of seems to understand neither of these things. These are classic neoliberal points of view to uh, not understand the material circumstances that created uh, you know, segregated neighborhoods or um, the just wealth of resources that you're sitting on top of as a stupid boomer who lives in a paradise, you know, like a suburb who thinks, why can't everybody, uh, you know, work as hard as I did or whatever, right? Um, right. By neoliberal, you mean like looking just at symptoms and not at causes. Yeah. Um, a lot of things. We'll get into kind of his specific neoliberal style and philosophy uh, as it sort of develops, because I think what's going on with Biden is uh, he, in, when he's young, he's kind of like lefty, but he, you know, as much as you can be, he's kind of a hippie back then. And um, he becomes motivated more and more to be very conservative by just trying to win races. And it creates, you know, this hollowed out shell of what the fuck he is now. Right. He. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I was just gonna, he's uh, he's an opportunist. You know, he's always been. He, and they say early on that he has no substantive ideology. He's he's very flexible and will bend to, you know, and this was the case before he ran for office. He, you know, they, he was courted by Republicans and Democrats until 1969. Um, and at that same time, he had this just really strong ambition to be president. And he does this thing that all he loves winning. He <laughs> loves it. He wants to win, but he, he wants to win, but he wanted, he won't cop to it. And this is a thing you see with a lot of politicians. This was one of the frustrating things about the Hillary documentary. She, she never says, yeah, I always wanted to be president. Just admit it. Like no, like that's like a third rail for so many politicians is like <laughs> not admitting that that's what they want to do. You know, like how many people who work at Citibank are going to say like, yeah, I, I have no interest in being the CEO of this company. That's that's they'll all they'll all admit that they want to move up in those ranks, but politically it just seems like uncouth to admit that you have this like craven lust for power it makes well, no it's sense a bit because transparent that you're a psycho at that point i think <laughs> yeah but like all these people ran for president at some point you have to be like okay i want to be like i wanted to be president before like a day before i declare you know what i mean like right yeah it's, especially because they're it's on the record like a lot like his father-in-law his friends his family they've all said they would ask him like hey what do you want to be what's your goal like president 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 like that's all he's ever wanted to be yeah it's weird later on in his career he sort of retroactively uh erases that he tries to say like oh, i never wanted to be president but he has all of these people that interview like staffers you know that worked for him say oh yeah he talked about it all the time he also had like <laughs> he was giving a speech one time uh when he was a senator and a nun from the school he went to as a boy came and asked him a question about it, and he denied it. And then she produced a paper he wrote in high school about how he wanted <laughs> oh, to be president. No. That's one of my greatest fears that that would happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says here, you love attention in an essay you wrote? Um and then people, too, it's like uh, clearly his ambition. Then it would also be painted on him. Like people thought he was a, a Delaware Kennedy, you know, because yeah. back this was a time where if you just had a square jaw, you could 
mount of whiskey glass on top of, son, you're going straight to that White House. <laughs> yeah. He's a teetotaler. You look though. like a series of rectangles. You have to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does have kind of a rectangular head. And, it, you know, by design, because he's fucking bald, but he put, he squared his damn head off with some, uh, some implants. Um, <laughs> so, true. I bet Trump's he's going to bring he got it up. His- Trump's I bet when he got his, his hair implants, he got his hair back, he probably asked for his jaw to be, like, returned to him. <laughs> like, is there a way you can uh, fix my job? Like, Maybe he has bones <laughs> shaved. That's what yeah. people do. <laughs> Just clearly does not understand what this doctor does. Can you put, <laughs> can you give hair to my jaw? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's called a beard. Um Give me jaw hair. <laughs> Can you? I have some glue. Can you? I brought it from home. Can you just put it right on my face there? Okay. Okay. Uh, so he goes to law school. He becomes a lawyer, and he has a pretty boring, uneventful law career. Uh, he claims that he de- defends a bunch of people that are real down on their luck. Um, eventually, runs for Newcastle City Council at twenty-seven Newcastle's County in Delaware. Um, decides to move from independent to Democrat. He's wooed by the Dems when he becomes city council member. So that's how he starts his career as a Democrat. He claims later that he got into politics because of Vietnam and the civil rights movement. But uh, he also goes in back on that a few times. He just lies about all this stuff left and right. At one point when he's a senator and like it's at not and that advantageous for him to support Vietnam. He says weird shit like, listen, I'm not a fatigues and tie dye kind of guy. Right. I like to roll my sleeves up. <laughs> uh, he's always talked like this. Yeah. It's no. only partially dementia. He's just, he talks <laughs> like that. He just really didn't want to make coffin glue. <laughs> so part like th- that is kind of important to, this story he i know we keep talking about how he's sundowning and stuff but he uh he he's been like this forever like i hate to break it to people but he's been snapping at people and crazy and bad at his job and all the stuff that he's doing now i think just when he was behind obama it just didn't really like come out as much and you had to be kind of a nerd and you know really paying attention to his life in the 90s to catch a lot of the stuff because he was just you know the senator um but his early life he's crazy um he's the only city council member from a suburban district, he won by a slim margin, and that's when he became, you know, sort of this, like, local phenomenon. A lot of the Kennedy stuff was thrust upon him, like you were talking about, and um, he's still really liberal at this point, but he's still got this, like, weird social conservativeness and, like, and also just personal weird shit. Like, at one point, he threatened to uh, a girl he was on a date with that he'd end the date if she didn't throw away her damn cigarette. Um, right. He, Which is, a uh, honestly, respect for that one. That's a power move. <laughs> I mean, it is alpha. It is, uh, you know, it's Pua stuff. I understand what he was doing. Um, he, hated, he doesn't drink either, he, which is weird because he's always talking about being Irish. But he's like, apparently he's never, he's like Trump. He's never had a drop, drop of alcohol. They're both, he refuses the the traditions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're both I, crazy and also these weird old teetotaler men. Mm-hmm. Um, he also hated the idea of marijuana legalization, which, um, you know, was big at the time. I think uh, when McGovern is happening around this time, there's like, you know, popularity. There's hippies and shit. 
Um, and he also acknowledged that his wife was the brains of the operation. He'd say shit like that. Yet, nevertheless, opted for her to stay home and raise the children, saying, quote, I'm not a keeping I'm not a keeping barefoot and pregnant type of man, but I'm all for keeping them pregnant until I have a girl. <laughs> or yeah, I'll we need a senator who busts nuts. <laughs> what a fucking weird like this is I don't think this was in the book, but I've heard some interviews with uh Bronco, the author, and he's talked about how Biden at the time was just very public about how much he liked having sex with his wife. Like he would just it's like, I yeah, think I put this in the is a sober guy thing. I think if you like if you don't indulge in some things, you like overreact in other ways. And so you're just like, yeah, I'm not gonna drink because uh gotta get home and stroke it later. Yeah. yeah, but he would say like it's like yeah, I put in long hours at the office, but when I go home, I still have plenty of time to make love to my wife. <laughs> I, I put in <laughs> long hours with uh, whatever my first wife's name is. If you catch my drift, I can't remember his word, <laughs> first wife's name. I was gonna say Jill, but that's not accurate. Uh, long hours. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. Um, so yeah, keep him pregnant until I have a little girl. <laughs> He's one of those one of those men, you know. I want me a little girl. Fucking creepy. Um, as a Newcastle, Newcastle City Councilman, he fought for construction. Uh, he fought uh, he fought against construction of oil refineries, and he called for a halt on the dredging of the Chesapeake, the Delaware Canal. Called for de-escalation of construction of a superhighway. He called a ten-lane monstrosity. Um, you know, so he was liberal. Um, age 29, he decides to run for Senate against this Republican, Caleb Kale Boggs. He's understood to probably lose. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a seat that Republicans have traditionally won. They've had since 1940. The other guy, the, the main guy that's supposed to go up against him is entrenched in some kind of scandal. He can't run. This thing falls into Biden's lap and he's like, all right, well, you know, I'll take a crack at it and it'll just be a thing that builds my career. But he ends up winning. Right. Um, his camp. I mean, that's not how he says it. He probably says along the ways of like, when an apple falls in your basket, you can't go and throw it down the throw it down the seed pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he has a translator who's like, he does want to run. That's what he means. <laughs> it's gonna be so yeah. funny if the de- at the debates if there's like a sign language interpreter for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, um, it's Dimitri Martin with a large sketchboard. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and that juicy ass. And that big juicy ass. Just give up halfway through. <laughs> like, I can't do this. Oh, that's a reference to a behind the paywall <laughs> thing, folks. No, no, it's a reference to just Alex. You want to understand? <laughs> Go hit that subscribe button. <laughs> so uh, he criticizes Vietnam on the campaign, and he forms the Consumer Protection Agency, which... Uh, Acts as like a lawyer for consumers, uh, like a public program. He attacks corporate tax structures. He attacks the special interests of the rich, which uh, wins him the backing of the AFL-CIO and the UAW. He's a total environmentalist. Uh, He's really big on pledging to protect the wetlands of Delaware and shit like that. And he picks up tons of the black vote, which helps him win this unlikely race, right? Afterwards, he reveals in private... At one of the events after he won, that uh, he's not really that liberal. He like <laughs> he like whispers this <laughs> to somebody who's like 
tells it later on the record. Yeah, he said to me, he's like, he's not really that liberal. Like, he's like lying, you know. And, right. Uh, after he wins, the, the event ends. The uh, the the Biden celebratory rave goes winded down. He pulls somebody aside and says, "You high right now? Listen to this. Uh, I'm more moderate." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, They'll never believe you, like fucking Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucked up. You're fuck. You're a fuck. You're a junkie. <laughs> um, so Good. That's that's an interesting thing about seventy uh, two because you know leftists. I think. Rightly, in many instances, make the point that we don't want to, you know, linger too much on McGovern and use that as a reference point too much. But there is actually some instructive stuff here because he Biden comes in with this class of senators, people like Gary Hart in 72, who were running sort of McGovern style campaign. They were very anti-war and they're anti-corruption. Right. But on economic issues, they're more middle of the road. Um, And then. After 72, they freak out. They say, like, this is, well, this is not a winning strategy um, because it, you know, it did work in a lot of sort of local and state races, uh, but nationally it was a total disaster, you know, which is mostly because of uh, the AFL-CIO, the popularity of Nixon. Um, But going forward, he moves further and further to the right, and I think that is kind of the, the takeaway from... 72 is that like we oh yeah we can't nominate someone who's seen seen as extreme again uh but there is still a lingering anti-war sentiment up until the 80s with with biden even though even as he's moving back to the right on abortion cutting the deficit and stuff uh he still like calls the panama canal a a relic of imperialism in 1977 and he's pretty critical not critical enough i would say of the reagan administration's policies towards Nicaragua, but he is like still um, like a big civil liberties advocate. And, you know, I feel I feel like they took the long the wrong lessons away from the McGovern campaign, which was, the you know, they really did keep the um, the economic uh, centrism. But they also did away with the um, but they did do away with the, the foreign policy progressivism and, you know, the anti-corruption stuff. Well, it's the nature of the Democratic Party, right? Because you're there to serve as an opposition party to the face-off Republicans, you know, speaking in the late 20th century. Um, So when you lose on your ticket that happens to have uh, a a more progressive foreign policy but doesn't have, I don't know, maybe as left-wing an economic policy, that's not on the table for you. So I guess what we're changing here is the part where we even want the war to end. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, well, that's what's kind of going on with him, too, because you see this is like he kind of starts off as just this naive, young, fresh faced guy. And especially after he wins this Senate run and as he continues to have to run for Senate and uh, win again uh, against different opponents and stuff like that, he starts to base everything that goes into his platform on strategy it is devoid of any sort of uh personal conviction and everything in this sort of neoliberal you know third way type shit or at least stuff that'll become like a third way strategy you know becomes a uh, um working backwards from like what won so this first thing he wins is a fluke right and he realizes after he won it that he picked up a ton of the black vote and so he sort of um starts to you know then go back and 
court the black vote again in his upcoming races realizing oh i have an appeal in this sort of uh you know community and i think he'll go on later to um combine what are the the pillars of the democratic support of that time being just various special interest groups with the other half of the coin being this ideological stuff from the republican side of things and uh he what where do I go for this uh he yeah i don't know he he feels the coffin of his campaign together <laughs> there is a quote from him where he says like i i'm the only white guy in delaware who can walk on the south side of wellington and go into the pool hall and yeah. people uh, and he has like names that are like shorty and jim they say hi to you know, they, they <laughs> hi to old joe uh, i got it right here i still walk down the street in the black side of town you can get maybe maybe they're they're my clients uh mousy and chops and all the boys at 13th <laughs> I can walk those pool halls, and quite frankly, I don't know another white man involved in Delaware politics who'd do that kind of thing. <laughs> Mousy and chops. <laughs> um, They're dapping me up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so right after he wins, his wife and baby daughter are killed in a car accident, and he uh, is traumatized by this. He he is sworn into the Senate like at his wife's hospital bed. Um, this is the most sympathetic part of the book, as far as I could tell. It's really tragic. It's very sad. But it's also a little, like, there's a first glint of something kind of alarming with him, like, where he, you know, becomes Jokerified or whatever, or, uh, I don't know. Really, we, podcasters beat the shit out of the Joker, uh, metaphor. Uh, this is where he becomes the Scarecrow? I don't know. Do they all have... This is where he becomes <laughs> the Scarecrow. <laughs> I don't know which, which Batman villain <laughs> I think he is. Um, Mr. Freeze. Wait, he misses wait, his wife. He's Mr. Freeze. He is Mr. Freeze. And he's tried to freeze deficits. Back. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, we'll get to that. So he's Mr. Freeze. Okay. Uh, his wife's dying. And this is when he starts to like kind of lose his grip and get angry a little bit. He, um, he fucking, uh, what do you call it? He, he claims like forever that the driver who killed his wife was a drunk driver, which sure. I mean, that's a thing that happens, but um, it uh, didn't. Uh, the guy's not drunk. He, wasn't drunk. he just was found in court completely innocent of that. And to this day, the family is just like terrorized by this, uh, <laughs> you know, this is this guy that just keeps saying, hey, you drunk driver killed my wife. And the guy's it's a weird line, it. too, because <laughs> I mean, if you're that guy, not only are you haunted by this uh, manslaughter for the rest of your life, but you have to be like, I was not drunk. I'm a terrible driver. <laughs> I don't I mean, pay attention. And your wife is dead. I, I don't want to cast any aspersions here, but do we really know that it was that driver's fault? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, if if we believe in criminal justice here, like, we don't want to assume fault here. Yeah. As a New Yorker, it is always the driver's fault. <laughs> Arrest this man. No, no. I think they were both in cars. Were they? Yeah. Yeah. His wife All was. Right. So his wife was not walking here. They were no. both in cars. <laughs> Depends who has the right of way. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> either way, obviously that's. That's set, that sets off his Senate career in a really dark way, right? Um, but after he wins, he staffs up with DuPont lawyers and researchers. You know, he really buys into what's going on in the town of Williamton. He praises DuPont as a, quote-unquote, conscientious corporation. And 
immediately reverses what was a youthful criticism of Israel. Uh, so he just immediately starts adopting all of the shit. Like he picks it up real quick. What is going to be needed of him to keep winning these races? Um, by 1972, by his 1972 Senate run, uh, DuPont's funding the shit out of him. After Watergate, he warns other Democrats not to gloat too hard because they need Republicans. Tells the press to shut up about Watergate. So it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he is. This is just what this is what I was saying in the fucking beginning he just likes telling people to shut up he fucking does dude he loves it it's his go-to move <laughs> he also it's weird because when he's younger he thinks uh you know he talks about watergate as being kind of like a horrific um you know breach of civil liberties and stuff like that the wiretapping and shit like that but as a politician he warns democrats like strategically you need like a symbiotic relationship with Republicans so you can't we can't be dicks about this. It's really fucking weird. Um Do you know what it is? He's just a lifeguard forever. <laughs> yeah. He loves telling you to stop splashing around over there. He's gonna go over there, he's gonna make you stop. He's gonna get twist his little leg hairs up at you, and that's real gross. No one wants to see that. You're you're gonna wish you were peeing in the pool by the time I'm done with you when I get over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i told you again i told you one time i'll tell you again stop taking a shit in the pool it's floating everywhere okay. his uh younger brother's business goes belly up causing the financiers that backed it to nearly collapse triggering an investigation into the bank they worked for farmer's bank this investigation reveals that biden and his brother are connected to just tons of shady transactions and endorsements involving like the governor of pennsylvania and stuff he's like already doing this shit right um, of course. Biden was on the Senate Banking Committee at this time, so he was using that position to, you know, funnel money around and be in the shithead. Um, then busing <laughs> happens, right? So Brown versus the Board of Education happens during inflation and a recession, causing, I'd argue, these forces of neoliberalism to begin producing ideas that reshape what racism kind of is um you can now attack racial minorities with these really kind of uh clever market economics arguments you know rather than outright old style old school style clan rallies and shit like that um the resentment that would eventually lead to you know reagan is brewing um obviously it was a thing during nixon and everything but it's just it's just ramping up more and more so one thing that happens during busing is that Biden argues something called a de jure segregation versus the concept of de facto segregation. So they're arguing about, you know, whether French segregation, <laughs> um, they keep all the black people over there. Uh He <laughs> he makes this argument about this thing called de jure segregation. He's saying that, like. Oh, okay. The busing, you know, solves this this problem, which is that there's uh there's people being segregated, living in certain neighborhoods, and uh, they don't have the right resources on this stuff. But he tries to push for legislation that doesn't allow busing in areas where he considers the segregation to not be de facto, but de right. jure. Which is he, he would argue, well, this actually just happened like this. Or wait, I'm going to get this right. backwards. So instead it's of a ra- racism on natural, <laughs> yeah, he's sort of making the argument that like, well, 
you know, there are black neighborhoods and there are white neighborhoods just because it just naturally happened that way. Like people just group with each other and stuff like this. So this is completely not understanding the concept of redlining, which is something that led to, you know, something that created the privileged conditions that he sort of grew up in. Um, it's really stupid, right? But he's getting a lot of, um, like, support from Republican voters and stuff for you know arguing against these damn liberals and they're they're overdoing it with the the segregate the the busing and shit like that right right that's just that's du jour <laughs> bill du jour okay uh, let it be it's good <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not delivery it's du jour segregation <laughs> you know? well it just it tastes just like real segregation <laughs> yeah. yeah it's that is kind of on the nose for blessing blessing is delivery i don't know where i'm going with this okay so it's delivery for children <laughs> yeah. pizzagate all right no we can't um if they're okay this is one of the things that he says when he's arguing against blessing if there were a gas station which served 50 people on a given day and 25 of them were white and 25 of them were black, you don't shut down the gas station because it can't prove that exactly half the people who use the gas station toilet were from each race. What you do is make sure there's no sign on the gas station which says no Negroes. <laughs> so that shit doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's like yeah, not, not... It's a- good they got rid of those signs. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's definitely what the proposal was. Make sure that every gas station in Wyoming had, you know, at least half uh, Polynesians. Look, you're all welcome in the pool. What happens there, <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> the bathroom of the pool is in the pool. Um, <laughs> 1975... <laughs> South Carolina fundraising fundraising dinner. He rejects the great melting pot concept. He says, we know that being black and white and Christian and Jew breaks us apart. He rejects a whole movement. He says it rejects a whole movement where everyone's going to, a whole movement where everyone's going to integrate. Now I'm turning into Biden. A whole movement where everyone's going to integrate and grow up and learn about each other as rejection of the movement of black pride. So, that's what white supremacists think, uh, <laughs> that mixing people together right. r- r- uh, actually makes us worse, you know, because uh, our, you know, our, our pride movements are about being separate. It's pretty wild shit. He's going you're, to this. You're, di- you're diluting our pool, our gene pool. <laughs> yeah, he's the lifeguard of the gene pool. Um, I feel so validated by every point in this. <laughs> yeah, and this is like a recurring theme throughout Biden's career about this racial segregation. Like it, it um, goes into like a lot of the yeah, these, his uh, racial policies in America. Uh, also, he has this proposal in the 2000s for Iraq, where he wants to split it in three, uh, like Sunni Shiites and Kurds, like three different areas, uh, like yeah. zones. For the people of Iraq, that the U.S. is just gonna like divvy up, and like everybody says this a, is a bad idea. There's gonna be a Sunni zone, a Shiite zone, a deep end, <laughs> adult swim. <laughs> I, you know, you know, I'm the only white man in Iraq who can walk into the Shiite zone, and uh, you know, there's these guys on the corner, like, uh, like I'm not even gonna try to attempt to make up. Yeah, there's no safe way to do that. <laughs> but he goes back. It is unsafe to rip in the Shiite zone. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps going back to like, yeah, my, my uh, 
father was Irish and uh, my grandfather hated my father because he was Irish. The English hate the Irish. It's just like that everywhere else. There's no more complicated than like that. that everywhere else. Also, I'm not going to look I'm not going to read about that at all either. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, and I think that the uh, author of this I mean, Biden has a quote kind of along these lines with, you know, in uh, Serbia, you know, the conflicts there and in Bosnia, places like that in the 90s. Uh, he, and he calls the Serbians, um, what does he say, that they're uh, like an illiterate, uh, <laughs> they're an illiterate people. Well, I'm going to find the quote here for a second. Serbians. Oh, yeah. He tried to, he, he calls the Serbs uh, illiterates and degenerates, which <laughs> makes me wonder what the origin of the author, Bronco, is, because maybe he was inspired to write this book as a Serbian who was just uh, aggrieved at, at Mr. Right. Biden. It's a hit. It's a, <laughs> it's a Serbian revenge tale. Yeah. These goddamn Serbians are nothing but a bunch of fucking hole digging, you know? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's weird to, to speak in Bidenisms. It's it's all got to be very like rural, you know. There's a goddamn bucket of bucket of, bucket of dirt hanging from a tree, you know. I don't know. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a bit of a gamble because when you stare into the void, uh, the void's gonna, gonna take your girl to, to dinner the next night. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's this weird thing. It's this. It's Delaware. It's like this weird confluence of like East Coast, but also Southern. Like he says at one point, like he's speaking to a group of uh, Southern Republicans, and, and he's always said that like, yeah, Delaware is a slave state. We're not, we're not this northern hippie <laughs> state. We're a happening? slave state. And he and Why he says, did you bring that up. <laughs> he's giving a speech to Southern Republicans at one point, and he says, uh, Delaware only fought for the Union because we couldn't figure out how to get to the South. <laughs> <laughs> that's so I fucking hate funny. this man so much <laughs> yeah well so that i mean that's a good that's a point that's part of the story uh which is that he yeah i mean it's kind of the perfect makings of a shitty neoliberal and that he was right on the border there and he was able to triangulate a lot of this stuff and go to the south and speak to them in an entirely different manner than he used to speak to like the black voters who was still trying to woo in delaware and um he would selectively, you know, tell the civil rights stories that were all made up. Um, obviously, he wouldn't tell them as much in in like Alabama, but in Delaware, right. while 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 you know pursuing the Southern strategy out of one side of his mouth, he was also saying shit like um, he would tell this story about how him and a group of classmates went to a local restaurant and there was only one black student in their class. Um, only to leave when he was barred from eating there. So, like, with their sitcom, One Black Guy, they went to a restaurant, the guy wasn't allowed to eat there, and they all left. The Philadelphia Inquirer tracked down Biden's classmate, now working as a doctor in Philadelphia, who recalled that Biden and his party had never left the restaurant and saw it. They still ate there. He just lied about it. Fantastic. Yeah, he <laughs> lies about everything. That's what I've learned from reading this small portion of a book. <laughs> they, uh... <laughs> And then the guy went on to say that uh, it seemed like they hadn't even realized he'd been thrown out of the restaurant, <laughs> and they just continued eating until they finished. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. I didn't realize I could not eat. That's one of the first things you realize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like ordered and ate and left, <laughs> like just at the That's end. It's not even like a fully cooked excuse. <laughs> nah. 
He probably thought that black people take extra long in the bathroom. I bet that was his excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that thing people think. (laughs) Um, It's the thing Joe Biden thinks. So a little bit further into his Senate career, this uh, thing called the Taxpayer Revolt happens. This is in 1978. It's in California. This bill called Prop 13 is passed because of it. So there are all these, you know, like conservative, well-off idiots in in California, in the suburbs, like Orange County and shit like that, who lobby for this very libertarian bill that uh, limits just how much you can tax on property in California. And it's, it's a big like third rail. Like it just, it it became like an institution. It's a crazy bill that fucked up a lot of uh, funding in California. Um, It happened because there's just this movement where people have decided, even though they benefited from all of the, you know, the, the, the shit that was set up Keynesianly after world war two, they've decided that it's, tyranny for them to be taxed right and so biden wants to assuage these voters and he wants to win them over um and they're demanding lower taxes so he becomes really fixated on being able to lower taxes by lowering government spending so the idea is that well if the government doesn't spend that much then you could get away with there being very low taxes and then uh you know then those people are happy and they'll vote for you and you can just sort of like figure it out right um Let's see. Are you going to talk about the uh, the speeding guy who he tracked down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay, okay. Sorry. Um, shit, let me... Hold on, let me pause. There... Okay, this is why I put this note in here. I forgot. So, yeah, uh, there's also this point when he's a, a Delaware senator where someone asks him about this, like... Um, this conservative bill that he's supporting or whatever. And he goes, what kind of question is that? Are you still beating your wife? (laughs) Uh, That's a pretty good counter though. Cause like you can say that in any situation. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be true. Like if you annoy me on the podcast, I could just be like, why don't you go back to beating your wife? (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a wife. You do. (laughs) And then you'll have to deal with it for like at least a month. (laughs) (laughs) But he says that after like the mildest, you know, criticism over this, uh, this really conservative economic stuff he's starting to buy into. Um, in the Reagan years, like 19 starts to embrace the spending freeze. Um, so he starts to develop this pattern where he becomes more conservative than the conservative president, one of whom is Ronald fucking Reagan, uh, as a way of, you know, sort of like, sh- sort of like triangulating and showing other. Democrats, like that McGovern thing you were talking about, like we can't lose like these losers. We can't see, seem weak in order to beat Dem- uh, Republicans. We have to like out conservative them. It's fucking stupid. Uh, Reagan extends an olive branch by coupling conservative style, a conservative style spending freeze with raising some taxes. So even Reagan is like kind of doing a little bit of tax raising. Biden up for re-election ups the ante by coming up with his own proposed spending freeze, which would cut $239 billion from the deficit. That's a hundred billion more than Reagan's plan. He said on the Senate floor that it would, or he said before he went on the Senate floor, it would shock the living devil out of everyone in the U S Senate. So he just goes crazy with this conservative economic shit. He up with this thing called pay as you go, a plan that limits spending to the GDP and 
inflation. So it's like you can't spend any more than a certain percentage of what the GDP is or some shit. He Of course. <laughs> it's so simple. Yeah. Uh he brags that he plagiarized it from DuPont, who's a Republican. After that, uh he backs the line item veto, which is a measure requiring Congress to vote on freezing the budget for one year before they can raise the debt ceiling. So just fuck it just just, you know, Reagan shit like this. Um, later on... You know what's infuriating about Joe Biden is he, I mean, uh, decades before he was vice president, really nails the Obama vibe, right? Of, And this is very popular with liberals in general, which is, uh, you know, on paper, pushing for de- the Democratic Party or liberal reforms. And then if they get them, and oftentimes when they don't get them, being very sorry to Republicans with kind of the tone of, you're probably right, but I'm just a stupid bitch who wants some other stuff. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, dude, the first well, guy he he beat in his first ever Senate run, he apologized to him after he beat him. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> What's well, this thing that, you know, Corey Robin has this thesis that the conservatism is essentially a reaction to the left and to emancipatory movements. And Biden is kind of, a reaction to the reaction. Like he's always trying to stay five steps ahead of the Republicans. And he's like out flanking them or trying to on uh, cutting spending on, on taxes and on the war on drugs, all these things um, to the point where he, he's supporting a balanced budget amendment, which almost passed in the nineties. And thank God it didn't like economists at the time were tearing their hair out saying this is an awful idea. Basically every economists from across the ideological spectrum and like imagine if we had that today during the coronavirus if there we were constitutionally incapable of providing relief funding right for people those like, are the types of limits yeah that he's talking about here like the balanced budget amendment you're talking about is like you literally just can't spend anything if it puts you in the it, it, it takes away the government's overdraft protection you know like you, you can't have credit at all you just have to have like a you can't go below zero which is fucking insane it doesn't you know the country doesn't function that way um you're right he's a reaction like real rand paul shit i'm an echo of an echo a photograph <laughs> of a photograph um <laughs> later on when he's running for president he gets trounced out of a primary by dukakis when his uh, the Dukakis campaign discovers a speech he gave about a fa- about his family is plagiarized from UK Labour Party leader Neil Kinnock, who's also like a neoliberal. Um, they also busted him for stealing from Hubert Humphrey and RFK, who's his hero. And uh, also, they found out he'd plagiarized in law school and failed a class for it. Um, let's see. What she? Yeah. It, he, he cops that up to like sometimes when I'm angry, I exaggerate. When, when I'm angry, I <coughs> copy and paste the catcher in the rye into my thesis. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have that right here. Uh, the wounded limping campaign was given its mercy killing after Newsweek unearthed C-SPAN footage of a April 17th event in New Hampshire where an audience member had asked Biden which law school he had attended and where he had placed. Perceiving it as a slight, Biden had reacted badly. He shot back that he ended up in the top half of his class, graduated with three degrees, and was the outstanding student in the political science department, and gone to law school on a full academic scholarship. 
He then told the questioner he would be delighted to sit back and compare my IQ to yours. That was that thing that came up a while back. Um, All of this was proven to be untrue. Biden had placed toward the bottom of his, uh, both his undergraduate and law school classes, had been a single degree with a double major and had only been nominated for the political science award and had received like a partial scholarship. So all all of it's fake. And yeah, he goes, I exaggerate when I'm angry. (laughs) I came up, I, I was the original wise old owl and I always wore a graduation cap. And that stems from the fact that I would have a Tootsie Pop on me at any given time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So his uh, strategy in the South is really interesting in all of this. He, I think the author of this book makes an argument that I kind of uh, find interesting and maybe agree with a little bit. Because like the whole question about neoliberalism, I think the whole defense of it, is, uh, well, they had to do that. This is the only way to win, right? And I think that it's probably true, as uh, Bronco puts in his book, is that uh, Biden probably could have revisited, revisited the politics of the New Deal, galvanizing them with a now active and viable population of black working class voters in the South, which were you know uh, famously kind of left out of the New Deal and disenfranchised from it. Um, instead, he got into bed with the DLC, the Democratic Leadership Committee, which is a bunch of blue dog white Southern Democrats, and uh, went with this you know cannibalizing of the Republican platform strategy. So I think the alternate history there could have been that you know that he appealed to this coalition of black voters that he had voting for him and did working class shit with it, right? The fabled left populism that, um, you know, keeps getting killed in America. Um, in, oh, Al- yeah. in Alabama, Senator Hal Heflin praised his conservative politics and he replied with, uh, a black man has a better chance in Birmingham than in Philadelphia or New York. So when he's in Alabama, he says shit like that. He mysteriously left out all the shit about his activism and civil rights. He didn't talk about the corn pop, any of that shit. Um, and he he also left out a line he'd been using in speeches in the North about a Birmingham about Birmingham Police Commissioner Bull Connor using dogs against black protesters. So he just went down there and he was like, "I love Bull Connor." It was back when you right. could do that. I love all kinds of dogs, no matter <laughs> what they're doing. Dogs are great. Um, and so the Democratic Leadership Committee is these uh you know these Southern strategy Democrats who are going to kind of uh, try to win the South by appealing to you know racist working class resentment and all this shit. Um, we all know the fucking thing, but, uh, the 1986 midterms, um, a bunch of left of center candidates won and sort of disproved the entire DLC's theory. Um, a bunch of women and people of color and shit voted for really liberal candidates. And, uh, this should tell you that like, you don't really need to do the Southern strategy thing. Um, And this is why me and all true gamers are against DLC. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really... Ship us the full game, you cowards. It's immoral. Right, I mean, Jackson's uh, whole, you know, point back then was, like, you know, this is the uh, locks line around speech that, you know, AOC has cited, uh, that, you know, in all these states that Reagan won in 80... The amount that he won by was dwarfed by the uh, number of, of black people, students, other you know traditional Democratic constituencies who just didn't vote. Um, and he was able to tap into some of that and get his message across in those primaries, 84 and 88. Um, but if there had been, you know, a 
politician with like um, actual political experience who uh, was backing that kind of platform, then they I think they they could have won. But everybody was just scared of that, and I think because of the the ghost of of McGovern, right? And uh, Jackson was you know kind of at least brave enough to try to become a left populist obviously had the rainbow coalition jesse jackson and biden got into a bunch of shit with each other um jesse jackson called the dlc the the democrats for the leisure class a fucking devastating own um (laughs) and the dlc formed an anybody but jesse movement um Biden accused Jesse Jackson of pitting everyone in the Rainbow Coalition against the middle class. So Biden's whole thing starts to become uh, he starts to abandon the like interest groups that were his left base in favor of this mythical middle class. You know, this thing that he describes as uh, the only thing that the Democratic Party has a hope of uh, hanging their hat on or using as a base. Um, yeah, like, what does he mean by middle class there? That's always, like, the most striking part of that quote is he'll say, like, you're pitting blacks and Asians against the middle class, as if, like, there aren't, you know, middle class and Asian black people. Like, what? Oh, yeah, no, it's complete bullshit, because there are, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's, he's saying white people. I mean, that's what he's fucking saying, right? right? Um, But it's also, you know, what is the middle class really? Like it's a, such an amorphous fucking term that means something different every time politicians use it. Uh I think in this case it definitely means white people. Um Jackson said uh pretty accurately I I I'd, I'd say democratic centrists are quote riding the con- Kennedy credentials uh, riding the Kennedy cr- credentials on the coattails of the Reaganite reaction. Goes on to say they're parting their hair to the left like Kennedy Moving the politics to the right like Reagan. You know how he spoke in little couplets like that? Um, The great bard. (laughs) Biden tries to use Kennedy's cultural appeal with boomers and unite it with his middle-class conservative white guy shit, right? He talks about uh, Kennedy like he was as big of a movement as FDR. It's really weird he biden also doesn't really like see himself as a boomer like he sees boomers as this other group that he's trying to manipulate um by like you know talking about he's more of a timeless sorcerer figure (laughs) yeah moving from group to group and lying in new and whimsical ways he's a glue wizard he's got like a big staff that's just a dried (laughs) piece of glue (laughs) if you have enough glue i mean i haven't seen a study that says you don't become magic (laughs) (laughs) bob Biden's Kennedy vibe and vague platitudinal ambiguity was cooked up by Pat Cadell, who had also tried this strategy with Gary Hart. He's the person who turned Gary Hart from, you know, kind of liberal to like this neoliberal thing. Um, Gary Hart lost. Pat Cadell also helped come up with New Coke in the 80s, the <laughs> famously successful other Coke. So what right. was that? Did it just it taste a little different or what made it new? I think they changed the it, flavor of Coca-Cola, which is a profoundly it, bad idea. It changed the flavor, and then they switched back, and then everyone loved the old Coca-Cola, and then it raised sales again. So was was it a long con or just a bad idea to begin with? Makes you wonder. Mm. Um, a couple other things about him before I get to like where I'm really going with this. Um, Delaware. Delaware is uh, known as a bankruptcy haven. 
It's lenient courts are always found favoring corporations over creditors. 60% of Fortune 500 companies were incorporated in the state by the end of the 90s. So you could have a company outside of Delaware, but it would go to like, it would be incorporated in Delaware and go to court there. Uh, the National Bankruptcy Review Commission attempts to solve this with a proposal called the Delaware Killer that would bar companies from other states to file bankruptcy there. Biden gets pissed off and says, I cannot comprehend what purpose would be served by diverting such cases from a court with such an accomplished record. Uh, <laughs> so he loves. <laughs> yeah, such so an accomplished record because they push through so many court cases so quickly for these like corporations trying to declare bankruptcy. It's just like very easy. Yeah. Right. Biden is clearly mobbed up by MD- MBNA, this huge credit card bank there that, uh, you know, is, is benefiting <laughs> from having the protection <laughs> from this bankruptcy haven thing. And, uh, you know, he's, well, what's the fucking problem, right? Um, he goes on to push legislation that prohibits individual people from filing for bankruptcy, which is something that the MBNA wanted. So the bank wanted to prohibit, like, just you from being able to file for bankruptcy because. MBNA, this bank, was losing like a billion dollars a year from people getting out of their debts by filing for bankruptcy. Um, so that sucks. We call it new bankruptcy. <laughs> the same same great package as old bankruptcy, but it's a new flavor. Um, I guess Supreme Court shit is kind of relevant because, you know, that's something that people are arguing. Oh, you got to vote for Biden because he's, you know, it's either him or Trump appointing the next Supreme Court justice. But, I mean... Please... Our, our, our RGB is 900 years old, and we're keeping her alive until somebody else gets in. Yeah, I mean, you know, Biden fucking lauded every Republican ghoul that was brought up to even, you know, possibly be on the Supreme Court. Jeff Sessions, this guy William Reinquist, he manages to apologize for their racism by saying, like, you know, he called him a boy, but, you know, he didn't really... I mean, it's about his character. Just shit like that. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, Clarence Thomas, you know, uh, he famously... You could do a whole episode on that. I mean, he he, he just, just... It's just, like, abysmal his handling of the Clarence Thomas thing. Clarence Thomas is accused by Anita Hill of sexual harassment or sexual assault. Um... Clarence Thomas, after Biden managed to skate Thomas through the hearings, said uh, him and his wife, they told journalist Jane Mayer, author of Dark Money, that Biden had personally assured him that he didn't believe there was any merit to Anita Hill's claims. So regardless of what the fuck Biden is saying about it now, he basically told Clarence Thomas, like, this woman's lying, uh, which is relevant to things happening right now. Um, before the... Right. Something they don't uh, held it down for the fellas. (laughs) Something, yeah, to keep in mind when liberals are browbeating about the Supreme Court, like a big part of the reason the the makeup for it now is because of Joe fucking Biden. Yeah. Um, And just to touch on this Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill thing a little bit, you know, you wonder what's going on with Biden because he seems like a, you know, like a pretty sexist guy um, in and that's what's motivating all this. But there's this other thing that's brought up in Bronco's book here, which is that uh, before the hearings began, conservatives aired an ad posing the question whether Democrats like Joe Biden and Kennedy would be able to stand this type of questioning if it was asked to them. So that might also be why he was, uh, you know, inclined to go, well, you, you know, we start asking Clarence Thomas whether he smelled a woman. We're going to start asking everyone whether they smelled a woman. And then we're all rapists, you know? <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, we know things about him now, you know? Um, let's see. <clears throat> There's also welfare. Uh, when Clinton's in office, uh, he joins arms with Republicans in passing a welfare bill, uh, reform bill and says, it is time to say we do not care who gets credit for reforming welfare, which is like a really clever way of saying, like, don't blame me if you're a liberal for doing this. It's the Republicans that did it, even though he did it, right? Yeah. Um, Clinton signed the bill in 1996 next to Newt Gingrich and Lily Hardin, a black woman who posed as the face of the bill, an example of the ravages of welfare. They had this woman who was like, thank you for freeing me from welfare. I hate free money. <laughs> it's always haunted me my entire life. I just turn places and people throw big stacks at me. Lily Hardin would go on to die because she didn't qualify for Medicaid because she had received welfare. Uh, so the very oh no, the money went away and it's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean she died from the fucking the bill. It's crazy. Um, the bill allocated welfare funds to states rather than from the federal government. So states just started doing shit like using the welfare money they got to just plug up their own debts and shit like that and never... That's why some states, Medicaid is completely useless and shit like that. Um, We all know this shit, right? But the most important part of Biden's legacy is obviously all the crime shit, right? And this plays back into his insane lifeguard personality. Labor Day weekend, 1980, Biden makes a citizen's arrest... Uh, he personally appears really? three times in court to make sure the man was being charged uh, with speeding. Or the man, so there's a guy speeding. He's just at a birthday party at a house. A guy's yep. fucking speeding. He runs outside and makes a citizen's arrest and then appears three times in court to make sure that the man was charged with speeding. And he only left him alone after the man kept calling him and begging him to drop the charges because he was going to lose his driver's license. Um, How do you citizens arrest somebody for speeding I fucking, they used to race them and run them off the road that's what he did yeah he traced him he tracked him down like a dukes of hazard montage yeah dude. yeah <laughs> and biden boys are at it again the funny thing about this is biden's guilty pleasure self-confessed is muscle cars so he owns like fast nice cars that he well, loves that to is. drive around but i guess he just does it at like 15 miles an hour that <laughs> fucking sucks yeah his other guilty pleasure is sexual assault <laughs> <laughs> he should be more guilty about that one but uh yeah muscle cars just... <laughs> that's just in the normal pleasures book <laughs> <laughs> um he's asked about the muscle car incident by the the fucking Wilmington news that he said uh, they asked him if he dropped the charges because he would have been prosecuting a potential voter Biden responded I wouldn't have minded that it would have been fun um yeah, you sick fuck so it's weird because as we get into the crime stuff Biden hates government spending that's like his whole thing up to this point and yet he makes a really specific exception in the case of uh crime and ramping up you know prisons and police and stuff like that it makes no sense it's completely antithetical to what would have been his sort of small government libertarian views at the time um and he just gets obsessed with this concept of crime and i think it's you know it's motivated by trying to win over uh racist white voters and stuff but he does stuff like even during his first senate campaign he was doing some of this sort of stuff like during his first senate campaign he uh gave a speech where he challenged women to walk home alone at night if they didn't believe him about the rising crime (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. You think I'm a liar? This is the Andy Kaufman of politics. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and he kept trying to get this uh, position created called the drug czar, which he had to fight Nixon over and over for, um, or uh, Reagan rather. He, you know, eventually gets it into place. And one thing that I didn't know until I read this book was that uh, the one famous one hundred to one crack law. Where you can get fi- you get fined a hundred times more for crack than cocaine. That was Biden. That wasn't even Reagan. Reagan wanted it to be twenty to one, which also is bad, but it's not a hundred to one. It's not a hundred to one. <laughs> it does sound like something that like a crazy guy would come up with, though. So it makes sense. It's Joe Biden. <laughs> you can't you can't trust a rock. What's it all doing there together? <laughs> when you when you have a bunch of bad together, I mean that's that's like a whole gang. And I'm the one thing I'm against is gangs. He he did hate gangs. <laughs> he took it from the corn pop days all the it's way like into the nineties. Like a gang of cocaine, crack is a gang of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, he tried to get police to be able to like invade schools. His biggest dream during all of this, during the nineties, was a dr- uh, or during the eighties and nineties, was a general drug vaccine that would just like make. They should just give it to all children, and then it just makes drugs not work. And he was warned by scientists that it was a crazy idea because if we were able to do something like that, it would also just make life not worth living. Like you would just right. It would be a lobotomy. Yeah, (laughs) that's what it would be. (laughs) You would have to like block off all human emotion. (laughs) Um, He would implement like civil forfeiture, which is this thing that you know allows police to just. uh, in even in illegal searches to take whatever they want from people. So, you know, people would lose their homes because their child was, uh, you know, found guilty of possession of drugs and stuff like that, steal people's cars and shit. And they would just turn this into like slush funds for police stations. Um, you know, he ramps up during, uh, during HW Bush because Dukakis is defeated and he was smeared as easy on crime. And then obviously he starts working on the 1994 crime bill. And uh, during the 1994 crime bill hearings, he's bragging about how there's like 50 plus death penalty crimes. And, uh, you know, that's more that's more than Bush's proposal. Bernie Sanders is there and he's saying, do do we have to put half the country in prison? Like, what are you talking about? Um, And that actually kind of happened. Like, there's a reason. So Clinton puts so many people in prison that simultaneously he achieves very low unemployment and that's like a legacy of the Clinton years. But all he put a ton of working class people who would be the unemployed people just in prison. Right. You're not a a steady stream of jobs making license plates for a whole swath of Americans. (laughs) So there are all these things in the 1994 crime bill called like barbed wire amendments, which are extreme punitive measures that, uh, like basically Biden would just assure liberals like these these things aren't actually going to happen. They're just there to scare people. Um, you know, the, the real meat of the bill is just the money, the money going into spending on police and prisons. Barbed wire amendments included things like the three strikes rule, which exists um, a rule making or a law making carjacking a federal offense punishable by death, which is total Biden shit. Right. You know, the fucking fawn right. steals your car. We can drag him into town and kill him. And uh, yeah, to run someone off the road to arrest them for speeding is one thing, but then to just take their car and drive away, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
And also a barbed wire amendment was tr- being able to try children as young as 13 as adults. So if all of these things pass, you can kill a 13-year-old for, like, driving their parents' car, you know? Um, right. And I have. <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, yeah, he, he worked with... Uh, Phil Graham, because there were a lot of Republican proposals that were yeah, just totally bad shit that Biden would just come around on. And one of them was the mandatory minimum thing, which became law. Biden even called it wacko. Um, this is the thing that now if you and I think there's a case of this a while ago, someone like took a slice of pizza and because it was theft, they got like 10 years you know, for just like nabbing a nabbing a pepperoni right. slice. Yeah. But uh, he did that because um, he he put he let uh, Phil Graham go along with uh, gun control, so we let him put that in. So it was just like, you know, in exchange for gun control, which is like the one sort of like liberal saving grace of the '90s. Uh, they let the carceral state even grow even bigger. Yeah, and the gun control, sorry to get all fucking, uh, 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 I don't even know on this, but uh, the gun control thing that liberals love so much, they don't realize came at the cost of putting tons and tons of black and brown people in prison for, you know, nothing. So, I don't know, man. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it was worth and that's it. Where, that's where the momentum started, too, because the push for gun control and the NRA uh, starts in response to the Black Panthers. Right. In the 60s and 70s. Right. Yeah. Certain people having guns is a problem. Yeah. yeah. And all the laws are gone now anyway. So it's like it didn't even last. Like, what was the point of this? You tell me you're going to give guns to Mousy and Chops? I don't know about that, pal. <laughs> um, on the, <laughs> the Senate floor, Biden gives an insane speech where he's rattling off numbers of things. He's going, there's be 60 new death penalties, 70 enhanced penalties, 100,000 cops, <laughs> um, and 125,000 new state prison cells. I think yelling 100,000 cops is one of the most insane things ever. Um, and he also relaxed a law that keeps detained juveniles like away from adults in prison. Fucking crazy, right? Or in jail. <clears throat> so there's a lot that you can say about you know why Biden was so into crime um why he was okay with spending so much money on it and what he thought putting so many people behind bars would uh do to society what he thought mandatory minimums and stuff like that would uh you know would function as how they would serve to deter people from breaking the law if you know if there were these ridiculous austere punishments um but i don't know if i really believe that what's going on there is even that much uh just an a, an appeal to republicans i think he really became personally fixated on it and i'm going to end the bio part of the story there i have a conclusion here um, there's more book after this, it, right after this nine 11 happens. And he says, uh, about he wants to cozy up to George, to George W. Bush this time. And he says, I have a very open relationship with him. And then, you know, they're Polly or whatever. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, George Bush is my unicorn, <laughs> <laughs> but he has this sort of like percolating neoliberal shit that's happening the whole time. Right. And he's using it to win more elections and it's causing him to then change what he seems to actually believe. I don't think that the hippie at the beginning of the story is really in there anymore. I think that he's now just the 
the shell of uh, the person, you know? And he, I don't know. I mean, everything's motivated by winning the next elections. He's eventually... It's almost a good... Go ahead. Where'd you go? I'm sorry. I, I, you're like cutting in and out. I can't tell when I'm interrupting you. Um, I was, what I was going to say is it's a good uh, argument against career politicians almost because you see that he started as someone who like had high ambitions but maybe uh, uh, had real ideals alongside those. And then by the end is just like the lifelong tough guy uh, governor, senator who is yeah. just here to de- dole out punishment wherever he can. See, I don't think he was ever an idealist at all. Like, I think he was purely just motivated by ambition, you know, like, yeah, you if you had someone like, you know, and, and it's interesting throughout the book, um, a kind of a refrain is using Bernie Sanders as a parallel. Like, this is what he was doing at the time. Uh, you know, that is someone who did dedicate their life to, I guess, arguably being a career politician, but for a good reason, you know, like, I don't think. Joe Biden goes to bed at night actually like worrying about the deficit. He worries about Joe Biden. Um, I think that's always been the case. Right. Uh, I, the Bernie thing, though, I mean, like he's the only one. <laughs> he's the only one who's stayed in the game for ideals for this entire time. Yeah. If that's, yeah. If that's the formula, you need people who are in there less time. I'm sorry. It's, he's an outlier. Yeah, I mean, this is why it's so sad that people insist, like, well, that ha- this has to be this way, because there literally it didn't have to. Now it kind of does. I don't know if there's anyone else like this, but, you know, it didn't have to be this way. And um, he, he becomes worse and worse, though, as he adapts his values to what makes him electable. And so I think one really big symptom of this is that he, at the beginning of his career, had the support of special these things he referred to as or uh, or no he didn't refer to he referred to um, corporate interests negatively as well, these special interests these corporate special interests right and uh, then he referred to like his you know democratic coalition of unions and people of color and stuff like that as like people right but by the end of it he refers to them as annoying special interests he went from someone who wooed unions and stuff like that to someone who threatened them and would say you know unions you're not gonna have it as good as you used to and all this shit at one point he refers to just like these types of groups as ah, you know the xyz group for american values or the qsy group to save all the women in the world or whatever <laughs> which is yeah, pretty funny <laughs> um and he eventually you know, shirks their support by claiming he can afford to take heat from unions and people like that if he can capture support from this middle class, right? Um, anyway, I think that's sort of how we ended up with this person, and I think it's really like kind of weird to see what will happen to him if he becomes president because if everything was in service of getting to the next race, eventually when you're president, you might have another presidential race, but in theory, you made it, and so you can finally be the liberal you always wanted to be, right? But I, I doubt it'll happen. I don't think that anyone's in there anymore. Um, but I was reading about all this, and something else occurred to me. Now, here's where I'm going to land with all this, okay? Let's look at Biden's early career leading up to 9-11 and the timeline we sort of live in now through Joe's suburban upbringing, cozying up to massive banks and unscrupulous chemical manufacturing dynasties, and... Uh, you know, a crusade on petty crime. There's another chain of events quietly playing out in the background. I want to talk about this thing called the lead crime hypothesis. Now, this is 
kind of controversial and not really proven, but it's pretty interesting. Lead has been used by mankind for centuries, and throughout history, there's tons of anecdotal evidence that lead very clearly causes some form of neurological damage to people exposed heavily to it, right? Okay. (laughs) Come with me. There have been more legitimate studies recently. For example, in the British scientific journal Nature, they posed a strong argument that lead exposure correlated with ADHD, substance abuse, poor job performance, and teen pregnancy. In the 60s and 70s, lead was phased out of gasoline and paint thanks to the work of geochemist Claire Cameron Patterson. There's a guy named Claire, by the way. uh, Senator from Maine, Edmund Muskie. The Clean Air Act, the EPA, etc. This is a real thing that the government assessed and dealt with. In the 90s, crime started going down. But the crime that persisted during and after the 90s was largely being reported in black and brown neighborhoods. Now, this could just be because of forces like broken windows or the draconian 1994 crime bill. You know, it could just be that crime's being reported there and not being reported in, like, the suburbs. Something really weird about Biden is that when he was uh, railing on and on in, in favor of this crime bill, crime was going down before the bill was passed, and he would just flat out not believe the evidence he would say oh they're lying and he would go on about right. uh rural Take crime a walk home alone at night right he would say that there was an epidemic of drug trafficking in like rural areas and crime out there that just it's, if it was happening it wasn't reported on like there was no way for him to know that it was happening right um <clears throat> so the fact that all all this crime is being uh you know is going away but the stuff that does exist is you know is in downtown areas and black and brown neighborhoods it could be you know just because police are racist that's certainly a thing um and i don't know it could be it's probably a number of different factors historically no one really knows for sure right but there have been a bunch of pretty plainly obviously wrong answers like broken windows that led to stop and frisk and stuff like that um but i think there's another side to the story so since the 60s Lead paint has been phased out of a lot of newer buildings and taken out of some older ones, but there's never been anything resembling like a federal top-down mandate to take it out of buildings, very possibly because of the war on federal spending waged by Joe Biden. There was never any resources during this time for the government to make everyone get rid of lead paint, right? So legally, any building constructed, this is the law, this is the federal law, any building constructed before 1978 can have lead paint. Your landlord just has to like include this form, like just this like pamphlet when you get one of those places. <clears throat> and they're also allowed to paint over it in the case that it's not chipping or peeling, but it like usually chips and peels, right? And none of this is enforceable, by the way. Um, according to the EPA, you can sand lead off of a wall, like the lead paint, but you have to be really careful because it creates lead dust and... Even if you pull it off, uh, you know, it costs an average of $10,000 to do this to your home. So nobody does it. And uh, right. anyone can tell you that older buildings are maintained and sold at higher rates in the city and buildings are more regularly knocked down and reconstructed in the suburbs, right? Lead paint is more common in the red-lined district, districts that segregated communities after World War II, the ones that Joe Biden believed occurred naturally, right? So... There's more crime in these places. There's more crime in like you know Chicago, Baltimore, all these downtown East Coast cities with uh, old old buildings. There's um, 
especially more aggravated crime. And this became a, like a topic. Like I'm not pulling this out of my ass. This is the thing I started reading about during Black Lives Matter shit. For instance, when Freddie Gray was killed in Baltimore by the police, um, his family filed a lead paint lawsuit because you know when these police shootings happen. Like the police officers always say like, well, the person wasn't, you know, listening and they were fucking resisting and all this shit. And like, obviously this shit shouldn't be happening to begin with. But to look at this objectively, you know, I mean, the police shouldn't be trying to detain someone. They shouldn't have guns. All these other factors shouldn't have led to this shit happening. But, you know, when you see footage of stuff like this you can sometimes lead some credence to the argument that the cop is in this situation and they're, you know, obviously horrible and racist, but like, you know, they're in a fight. Right. And they're, they always report, you know, that they're sort of like, uh, aggravated. Okay. So Freddie Gray's family made the argument that their child, Freddie Gray was experiencing the behavioral effects of lead paint and they went to court, and the defendants, uh, they always argue with parents in court cases like this that, uh, you know, well, your child's like that because of poverty, because of bad parenting, or whatever. But these cases happen all the time. And DuPont itself has been sued for poisoning children with lead paint. And, you know, DuPont clearly use, utilizes its wealth and its ownership of politicians like Joe Biden to continue to expand and profit while dumping chemicals and avoiding regulation. And so there's just this there's a theory in like in studies of crime that um, basically since we got lead paint out of a lot of stuff, it caused the crime rate to drop in a lot of places in America in the 90s when everyone who grew up during the time when the lead paint got out of everything uh, would be committing crimes, right? But uh, it didn't happen everywhere, and it's scattered, right? So if you want to see where there still is lead paint that might actually be causing you know, stuff to be happening within people that leads to these situations, well, there's a map that Vox made in tandem with the Department of Health, and I'll link it in the episode notes, right? Um, if you look at the map, this is, uh, you know, I mean, there's just all these downtown areas and some weird rural ones. Um, I looked up my own neighborhood growing up. Um, I think I'm safe because the map basically takes the census tracts, which are like the census divides up the entire country by what they kind of just conceived to be little neighborhoods, and uh, so your your crimes are unrelated. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I'm safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, they list everything on a scale from one to ten in terms of how much lead is found to be in the walls in the buildings in these neighborhoods. I think I was a one or a two, so I don't have lead poisoning. Everyone should look this up and figure out if they think they have lead poisoning because it's weird. Um, but I think that there might be something to the argument that. This is where aggravated crime in poor neighborhoods came from because I looked up Delaware, which, you know, is where DuPont is based. And I looked up Wilmington and I looked up Newcastle and they're all fucking tens. They're all full of lead paint. Right. And so all these fucking corn pops and mousy and chops and people that he's talking about, you know, all this stuff could just be a little bit of the fallout from lead paint. And furthermore, 
you know, you might be thinking, well, okay, those people were infected with lead paint, but Joe Biden grew up in the suburbs, right? But he grew up in the suburbs that were like built by DuPont. Okay. So I looked it up and uh, 228 North Star Road in Newark, Delaware, where he lived for most of the time he lived in, you know, in and outside of Wilmington, was built in 1723. Okay. Old ass building. And it is fucking full of lead paint. It's a 10 on the map. I also looked up his childhood home in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which he visited in 2016 <laughs> with Hillary Clinton. 10. It's a fucking 10. So think about it, guys. He stutters. He's been stuttering forever. We've been trying to say, oh, he's got dementia. He's sundowning. But if you read this book, he's been snapping at people his whole fucking life. He's been uh, cheating in school. He's not good at his job. He's aggravated. He, he he's been, hasn't been able to speak right since he was a child. All of the symptoms of lead poisoning apply to Joe Biden. I think... Joseph Robinette Biden has lead poisoning. That's it. Wow, that took an unexpected turn for me. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah, um, I, I, I can't Would you just that. test him for lead poisoning, or is it just it doesn't work that way? I don't know. Is there like a clock thing? Remember the clock? Like they were trying to say, hey, draw a clock, and it tells us if you have dementia. Oh, there's a different shape you can draw that tells you if you have lead poisoning? <laughs> I don't know. I figured this out yesterday, so I haven't looked up whether draw there's the a way fall of Rome. we can test him. <laughs> but I think he has fucking lead poisoning, dude. I mean, honestly, like, I know it sounds kind of funny, but, like, you know, think about, like, Freddie Gray and, like, the way someone with all those same symptoms is treated by society if they're a poor black person versus if they're this middle-class white guy. You know, Biden's like, oh, it's it's affable. It's excusable that he's all these things. Whereas, you know, if he was someone who was the target of his own crime uh, legislation, you know, it'd be considered, uh, you know, a death sentence. Yeah, there's also his son in the 90s who I, I think that's when his drug habits started, right? Hunter? Hunter, yeah, who, you know, maybe he was exposed right. to lead, lead too. Yeah, uh, no, Hunter's a fucking like, crazy person, and, well, you know, they said, like, sub substance abuse is part of this, because, it, you know, damages your neurons and shit, and you probably end up, yeah. you know, becoming anxious and uncomfortable and getting into addictive patterns. It would make perfect fucking sense. Right, and that, I, I think that is why one of Biden's pet issues within sort of the drug um, policy area is uh, ecstasy because he keeps trying to um, get this provision into a bunch of different bills that uh, people who host events where ecstasy is distributed should be prosecuted as, as drug dealers. Right. Um, He's trying to end the music industry. Yeah. And he eventually <laughs> tried to sneak it into a law in 2002 he tried to sneak it into a bill um, for the Amber Alert system. <laughs> right. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, it is pretty fucked up that the Amber Alert announcer is always on E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody's the Amber missing. is the color Amber of your energy alert. Right, right. And also <laughs> the name of many ecstasy dealers. <laughs> I can see your energy right now. Also, Brian Wilmont was last seen on 8th Street <laughs> at 2.36 p.m. in a gray Honda Civic. Um, okay. 
Well, I don't know. He could be. He could be. He could have lead poisoning. <laughs> I'm not convinced that all crime stems from lead poisoning. But uh, there's a lot. You really opened my third eye on this one. I'm just saying, man. We should keep an eye on this because I think the fact that he came from like a swamp made of glue and paint might not be. <laughs> entirely off the table in terms of wondering why this man's brain doesn't function correctly at age 78. And uh, I think that it's probably why he can't fucking talk right and why he's so impulsive and weird and like snaps at people. Uh, These are all symptoms, you know, but there's nothing we can do about it. So now it's just something that's fun to think about. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, what's the word I'm looking for when you put all the the things on a board and connect them with strings? <laughs> yeah, this is investigating. Very, uh, conspiracy tinfoil hat. That's I mean that's that's what's happening to me here in quarantine. Another mark on the board, baby. Yeah. All right. Well, that's an episode. I'm feeling good. Uh, <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything to plug. Sign up for our Patreon, please. And um, sign up for uh, a rate, review, subscribe. But give us money and hear our uh, bonus episodes because, you know, we need the money to live (laughs) post-corona. And you'll enjoy the episodes. Hell yeah. Uh, I have a plug, too, actually. I I got a text from someone I know who works with Teamsters for a Democratic Union, which is a uh, very important organization. Um, and they are trying to raise money for UPS workers who are, you know, being exposed right now to, to COVID. Um, so there is a, a, a GoFundMe, um, which, you know, I know GoFundMe is not, well, yeah, it's, it's GoFundMe. It's a site. You got to use it sometimes. Uh, so they're organizing for protection, safety and pay. Um, and there's a link that we will put in the, the show notes. Um, and there's some more information on there. Um, just how to, you know, keep, keep our essential workers safe and hopefully get them organized. Nice. Okay. And follow me on Twitter at Patak jokes and my other podcast. And I share Anders love of UPS workers. Yeah. Shout out to Alexander from minion death cold. He's a UPS worker. He shares very funny things on Facebook. Uh, Keep doing those packages, King. <laughs> King. God, I love calling all my friends King all the time. All right. Uh, God, I hate the internet. Let's get the fuck out of here. All right. It's finished. It's finished.